0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music.
1: Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jerry Gaskell. Jerry is one of the founding members of the amazing band King's X. These three guys have been at it since the early 80s, and they made such an impression on the scene in the late 80s and early 90s. They made such an impression upon the music community and the musician community during this time and continue to do so. They've got a brand new record out called Three Sides of One, and these three guys sound just as amazing as ever. Jerry, as well as the other members of the band, have branched out in other projects and have proven to the community that they are versatile and amazing musicians. Jerry's put out a couple solo records. He has endured tragedy, whether it was Hurricane Sandy knocking down his house in New Jersey or overcoming two heart attacks. But despite this, Jerry continues to be a force to be reckoned with. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. And you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So as you may or may not know, I do a lot of research before I sit down and speak to my guests, and that involves listening to a lot of the music, and this last month has been so fun. Uh, listening up again and going back into the King's X catalog and listening to a lot of this stuff. And you can hear the influences that have affected Jerry so much in his playing, whether it's Bonham, Carmine Apiece, or Buddy Rich. You really hear it in his playing. And also, I hear his influence in a lot of my friends and my peers that have been King's X prophets, uh, Jerry Gaskill super fans, and uh, I, I, I get it. I totally get it, and um, I was a fan from the first time I saw them back in the late 90s, and I I just so enjoyed speaking with Jerry. And big thanks to Joe Burkall. Joe has been a big supporter of the podcast and helped make this connection with Jerry, and I just can't thank Joe enough for connecting me with Jerry, and um, so thanks so much for that. But I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Jerry Gaskill. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's Matt.
2: Mass.
1: Matt. M a t t. Matt. Yeah. I. I like Mass. Can we? Can we just? Can we just pause and I'll go change it right now.
2: Yes, please do.
1: Jerry Gaskill Um, says my new name is. You know it's so funny. Everybody thinks I say Max.
2: And, Except me, I thought you said mass.
1: That's right. I, you know, I blame Zoom, uh, and, and and I got to the point where I was like, "Man, what what's wrong with people?" I'm like, "No, it's me. It's the way I say it." And then my last name is Kraus, so it's like Matt Kraus, and then people like, Mac, you know. And uh, uh, so yeah, I think. Uh, so your name is Max. No. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. And you know what? That's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, take care, man. Okay. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. So big shout out to Joe Burkhoff for connecting us and making this happen. He is a big supporter of our podcast for many years and is actually a bass player, um, frustrated drummer. Uh, but we so appreciate his uh, interest in in the show and connecting me with you. So thanks to Joe and uh, also, there's a friend of mine here, a great drummer in Nashville, Kevin Murphy. I reached out to a few friends of mine and said, listen, I know you're a huge Jerry Gaskill fan. I'm going to be speaking with him. Do you have any thoughts or questions? I think
2: I know Kevin Murphy.
1: He's from D.C. Uh, you might know him through David Parks. I know David Parks. Or Tom Hurst or some of these other Nashville guys. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh kevin's just just a part of this scene and um i know was played a supportive role in the nashville drummer jam that did a tribute to you and raised some money at the time and um i just love that community just very reflective of this nashville drumming community
2: that was a wonderful thing i'm very honored and thankful for that
1: yeah yeah so kevin was one of the guys i reached out to and um I said, tell, he, this is from Kevin Tell him that he remains my greatest rock influence And my 13th King's X show at the Brooklyn Bowl Was just fantastic As my first at the old 930 On the Faith, Love, Hope tour back, I think, maybe 1990 Wow So, I'm just Hey,
2: Kevin Hey, Kevin <laughs> All my love to you
1: <laughs> So, new album just came out. Um, what it was I'm, I'm sorry, September second. Hmm. Three sides of one, and this was the tour you guys were on. Are you guys still doing shows, or is that tour done?
2: Well, we're done for now. I mean, uh. Hopefully, we'll be doing more shows in you know
1: 2023. That'd be amazing. Yeah, uh,
2: I, I want to We all want to do more shows.
1: Yeah, I had an opportunity to come to that show uh in in nashville and my flight landed at eleven thirty that night um Ooh. i don't remember where i was coming back from but i i missed it but i saw a little bit of video and um so um uh, a, a producer i'm not familiar with uh michael parnin uh produced this record and I'm just always curious because producers have different styles in which they work with bands, interact, don't interact, and uh, kind of their approach. So I was curious, you know with a band that's been around as long as you guys have and have established yourself and your sound and your approach, what does a producer like this what's their role in in the production of of a record like this? what was What was Michael's approach?
2: Well, Michael's approach was uh, how do I put it? I love Michael, and he was the perfect choice for us to make this record. Let me start off by saying, uh, when we decided to make this record, and I knew we were going to do it, I committed to it, and all of that. I really didn't even want to do it. Hmm. I didn't want to leave my home. I just, I just didn't want to do another record. I didn't want to put myself through that again. Blah blah blah. You know, it's, eh, another record. Uh. Hmm. But, and I had never really spoken to Michael before. Okay. And then he called me on the phone just to have a conversation before I came, just to sort of get to know each other a little bit. And by the end of that call, I was so ready to make this record that I knew Michael is the guy. And Michael's the kind of guy where he doesn't, he's not really telling you what to do, Mm -hmm. but you know, he'll give us opinions. But if there's something you want, my experience with him, I could, whatever I say, I could say, Hey, uh, can we make this sound a little bit more blue over here on the left, and then on the right side, make it kind of feel like it has a tree coming over the top or something? <laughs> you know, just say anything ridiculous, and they'll like, say, "Yeah, we can do that."
0: Yeah, Yeah. And
2: that's that's what it was like working with Michael. Yeah, we can do that. Right? I don't know, man. No, we can do that.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. Just just pushing this positive energy towards you yeah. all. Yeah. Did he give you any like direct? or direction uh, from a drumming standpoint or, you know, arrangement um, or anything like that?
2: Uh, Not really. As far as that, I can recall uh, other than just encouraging when something was right. And if something wasn't exactly right, I'm sure he would say, Hey, what if we, um, you know, try this instead?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think it's been a while now. I don't remember those things. I'm not a gear guy. I'm not a, Remember, guy. I'm not any guy. <laughs> Let's do what I do, and there you go.
1: <laughs> well, one of the things in, in, that we really like to do is extrapolate as much as we can information from any drummer that it would be applicable to the working drummer. So, those of us that you know are you know working in in everything from wedding bands, uh, cover bands, um, out uh, supporting. Uh, an artist as a, as a side man to established bands and, you know, band members. And so it's, it's really fun. It's been fun to this challenge to speak to somebody that doesn't play that specific role. Now, I know you work with other people and you, you, you know, you've worked with many different, uh, everybody from, you know, a house band for a Bon Jovi party to, um, you know, playing locally so I mean there's I I feel like you're you're this perfect balance be able, to be able to 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 kind of bring some of those uh ideas that are helpful. But while we're on the Kings X thing, I have a question about the song Swipe Up. Who wrote that song?
2: That song uh originated from Doug.
1: Origin okay. Okay.
2: And Doug is really into the degent music and sugar bands like that. Yeah. And uh, when he first played that for us, I thought, oh, my God, this is great, Doug. I love this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it just filled me with fear because that's not the way I play. I think, wow, oh, man, I got to learn to play like this. <laughs> and, and I really dreaded doing that song in the studio, Same with uh, Flood Part One, okay. the same kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I, I really dreaded it. I was, you know, be in bed, know we're going to do it the next day. You know, just freaking out, because ah, I don't even want to wake up. But anyway, but it ended up where I think it was Ty maybe he mentioned, just play it the way you would play it. Yeah, play it like Bottom would play Just you know, put yourself into it, and that's what I did. And now it's like one of my favorite songs. I just I just love the the vibe, the feel of it. Because it's not that thing, even though it has that thing in there, yeah. if that
0: makes sense.
1: No, I, I get it, man. And, and there's so many... <clears throat> I, I've, I've been digging into the new record, and I just I just really enjoy it, man. I, I encourage people to check it out. And uh, there's, just, there's a lot of new ideas that are coming through on this record that you guys are introducing for the first time, and there's a lot of kind of home base, if you will, King's X sounds that 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 give us something to latch on to. and uh, it's just it's your drums sound amazing. Uh, the pocket, the swing of your groove is so signature and is captured there. Just r- been really enjoying it. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, sure. the The reason I ask about that song, Swipe Up, and I, I don't I don't know if you could speak to this, but I just uh, you, you know, in trying to dissect the lyrics, it, it just sounds like. Um, you know it's 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 talking about the social media obsessed society is that a fair assessment of that,
2: well, I, I didn't write the lyrics, right. but I think I've heard Doug say it has something to do with you know swipe up like on your phone and yeah. definitely social media type thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's just yeah. really interesting, just kind of just welcoming content. But I also love that at the end, just I don't know whose idea this was, but there's a little bit of a fade out, which you don't always hear a lot of these days. But there's a little bit of a fade up. Meanwhile, the vocals kind of stay up there, and I don't yeah. know whose choice that was or how that came about. Any any ideas? I'm not there? exactly
2: sure either. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, really cool. I'm I, like, oh, here comes a fade, and wait, oh, yeah, the vocals are still. I know. There. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think when I first heard it, I liked it too, and I, I could surmise where it came from, but I don't know for a fact. Yeah, how that came about.
1: Well, on the vocal thing, uh, Joe Burkaw had. Uh, this is from him. He says, "You guys have such a lush, Beatlesque vocal harmony that blends beautifully over all three of your vocals." Uh, how did that come about? How did that sound come about? Was was it intentional? Was it natural?
2: Well, when we first started the band, I wasn't singing at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, a singer. I didn't consider myself a singer, although I sang, I wrote songs and would sing sometimes, but never thought I'm going to be a singer in a band. And uh, then all these songs came about with these harmonies, and it was like, there's only three of us. You're going to have to sing. <laughs> you know, so I started singing. And I guess it's a natural thing that our voices sound the way they do together. And, uh, you know, we, we have the ideas that we have for the harmonies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just comes out the way it comes out for us. Mm-hmm. And if it's a beatle thing, it just comes from us, like everything we do. You know, that makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, on your 2015 solo record, uh, there's there's a—I uh, feel like there's an exposure of what your influences are, especially from a vocal standpoint. There's so much of this—like, that's Jerry's sound. That is—I'm hearing this Beatle harmony that's coming into that record, uh, m- maybe more so consistent than the other— than the other records than 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 the King's X records. Um that kind of or, or at least from my standpoint, from what I heard, just reflective of how much they influenced you um, you know, musically and all this. Those,
2: well there, there is definitely that. And that, that and that that's a record that I made with my friend uh Dan Carcos, D. A. Carcos. Okay. And and he put a lot of his feeling into it as well. Mm and uh so that's it's it's a it's really a collaboration a combination of me and him together you know and he loved the beatles he loved kings x so you know all of that is in there
1: yeah, yeah yeah there's so much to grab onto uh, and i you know your fan base being so many musicians and whether you're a singer or a bass player or a guitar player or a drummer it's you know there's bands where like oh yeah man Guitar players love this band, or drummers love this band, but you know, everybody loves King Sax.
2: <laughs> Musicians love King sex. <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah. Well, people yeah. love music, and uh, well, I want to talk a yeah. little bit about that as well. Um, this is also from Kevin Murphy. What's the trick to staying calm and cool and nailing tempos without a click after all these years? And he's speaking of live, of course.
2: Well, that's something I can't ever really know because I I like to think that I'm, you know, staying solid. You know, but I I can't know that without a click. But here's the trick, or I don't know if it's a trick, but for me, I have a tendency to feel like I should probably approach it a little slower than it might feel, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you're... you're playing you get a little bit anxious you know and i just try to just lay it back just lay back and just try to feel that groove just let it and let your arms and your feet your hands just stay steady you know where you think it should be and oftentimes i feel like the beat is in between the hit if that makes any sense
0: Hmm. and
2: i think that, that might be why i move around the way i do because i feel like the beat is in As you're coming down, sometimes you got to feel all of it. You got to feel all of it to keep that 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 vibe and that groove, if that makes any sense.
1: Of course. Of course. Uh, Peter Erskine talks about that. Uh, Time is not when you hit the drum. It's the space in between the drum.
2: It is that that is that is the time. right? It's the space between. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, Uh, I'm trying to feel (laughs) of course. Who said
2: that? Who did you say said that?
1: Peter Erskine. Oh, well, what does he know? (laughs) <laughs> well, exactly. He, he, that was one good thought he had, I believe. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting, I'm trying to remember who I was uh, speaking to, might have even been, I took a, a lesson for myself from Tom Hurst recently, and uh, it might have been that, but we were talking about this idea of, say, just a swing pattern, you know, uh, dang, dang, da-dang, dang, 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 but that upstroke If you had something above you and you hit that, you know, you're not hitting it, but there's this invisible thing, that's where your arm goes. You're not just holding this, you know, there's this circular motion. Because as I'm trying to get more in tune with the way my body moves and how it um then, then translates itself onto the drum set in pocket, in groove, in time. You know, I, I, I want to know that my movements are just as in time as when I'm hitting the drum. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is one thing about you that it's like when I see you play and then I listen with headphones without seeing you, I still see you. Ooh. I still see you play because I've I I know your movements. I know when your left hand goes down. I know when you're doing you know you kind of this almost like a backhand left crash, but you, you 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 kind of recognize that touch and tone from different players, especially once you've seen them play. So. Um, did you ever listen to yourself a lot? Record yourself early on?
2: No, I didn't. Yeah, not early on. I didn't. No, mm-hmm. very little. Because early on is a long time ago, and, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of ways to record. Some, so maybe a a cassette player or like some reel-to-reel thing.
1: Edison for wheel. Me anyway. What's that? The Edison wheel. Just
2: put- yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of real recording, but. When I did record, I would listen back and and learn from that. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, there's a recording of me. I may have been eight years old, seven or eight years old, and I and I found this old cassette tape. I think it was maybe maybe it was even a reel to reel tape. And I, and I listened to it. And I go, oh my god, I can't even play. I thought I was okay back then, but I can not play.
0: Mm-hmm. Then
2: I listened to another tape, maybe like a year later, and it was amazing the difference. It's like oh my god, I learned how to play. In a short period of time, yeah, whatever that means.
1: Yeah, and it's always interesting. Yeah, well, how do we get there? You know, how do we keep improving upon that? And you know, is it is it physical action? Is it listening? Is it, um, you know, how do we obtain that time feel that that's not you know strict time? You know, it's it's they've got drum machines for that. They've got programs for that. How do we, you know, I create an identity in our groove in our pocket. Uh, like our heroes, like Bonham, uh, like many of the drummers that I know, where you are that to them. Um, which, by the way, this, I, I'm, I'm a little, this is probably, I've been doing this podcast for over eight years, and I feel pretty good and comfortable about my interviewing, but I've, I'm a little in, uh, nervous about speaking with you because the fan base of drummers that I know are they're, they they just they adore you so much that I'm like, I'm gonna miss something. <laughs> I did oh. that years ago with Willie Cantu, who was the drummer for Buck Owens, and super hardcore Buck Owens fans just raked me over the coals. <laughs> oh. Well, I gotta go, Matt. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> yeah, this cut our losses, man. It's not you, man. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of your band again? Um so called Mass, Mass, <laughs> Mass Effect. It's the yeah, Mass they, Effect. Yeah. This is, um, but not to get not to get too too far off. I I, I am curious uh, about your movements, and I don't I don't know if you can speak to it necessarily. But when I first saw you in the mid nineties, you guys were opening up for Motley Crue in oh. Columbus, Ohio, at the Polaris Amphitheater. I was I was working for an agency, and I was able to get tickets. But I had a gig that night, so we went and we set up and we got sound checked and everything like that. We ran to Polaris. I can't remember who the first group was, and then we watched you guys. And then when your set was over, we left <laughs> and went and played our gig. Really? <laughs> we just oh. I like got to go see. But I had never. That was the first time I saw you live, and the way your hand came down in between beats was something I had never seen before. Can you speak to that in any, just maybe why that is, where that came from? Was it, did you even think about it or?
2: Actually, I don't think about those things. Mm -hmm. I think it all just comes naturally. And it it was like, um, I'm sure I somehow learned what I do over the years I don't think it's it's anything conscious. Sure. I think it's just just the way I play, and I think over the years I've learned, like we were talking earlier, that the groove, the 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 beat is actually in between the hits. Yes. And and I think maybe I subconsciously learned that, you know, my movements have to be where I feel that beat is before I hit it. Yeah. You know, I think I think the way I play and. My movements bring me to that.
0: Yeah.
1: makes sense? It, it does. And, and, and I, think, I can that, think it's possible that, that that can't be programmed. That can't be a really conscious thing. That has to be maybe just a time of experience and exploration and the way you move to then when you find your grooving and you refine that pocket, you're like, that's it. Whether you're using mirrors or cameras or whatever, you know, it's like once you know that it's feeling right. It's like, okay, this is it. This is, this is the way I do things because your movement is unique to everybody. You know, it's this thumbprint uh, that we have as individuals and in our touch and tone and the way we move and the way we look behind the kid.
2: Yeah. I always say that even if I try to play like somebody else, like try to do a bottom thing or whatever, it still just ends up sounding like me. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, and I and I always I don't know if that's a good good thing or a bad thing, but that's just the way it is. I can only play the way I play, mm-hmm. and I can learn parts and I can learn licks, but I think still, it's something in ourselves. I always say it's in our hands, it's, it's in feet, it's in the way our bodies. Present things if we really feel it, and that's the most important thing I think is we have to feel it. And if we feel it, then it just happens, and we're not thinking about it. And then once we start thinking about it, then we start to lose that, I think. Right. Yeah.
1: It, it's very true. I mean, my brain is my worst enemy when it comes to performing. It,
2: That's why I hate to learn songs. I hate to do anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating, though. I, I've, uh, do you consider yourself an introvert? Um.
2: I don't know if I consider myself an introvert. Maybe to certain, in certain respects, maybe I think we all probably all are in certain respects.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, sometimes I like to be by myself. I don't want to reveal a lot or whatever. And then sometimes I'm ready to just be the life of the party. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's, I think we, we all sort of run the whole gamut of what human beings are, and some some of us out more than others at times. But we're all just humans and we all have the same feelings and types of experience. I mean anything that we experience is human. Yeah. There's nothing that a human experiences that any other human couldn't experience.
0: Mm-hmm. We
2: might not experience it, but we could because we're all humans. For sure. So you know, I don't I don't so I don't know. I'm just who I am.
1: <laughs> well, and but it, so much has happened in your life. Uh, some uh, major events have happened in your life that uh, do you feel like that has sh- changed you or shaped you. I mean, this this is completely shifting gears, uh, but at the same time, I feel like maybe this is a good segue in getting into your first heart attack in 2012, and maybe what changed with you at that time. Or after that?
2: Well, I don't think for me a lot of things are necessarily conscious, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but I know that a lot has changed. You know, I don't, I don't see myself deciding. Oh, I'm going to be different now. Well, some things I did, but, uh, but yeah, that I'm sure that that changed everything in my life. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, it. It here's what it did to me. It helped me to realize to pay attention to my body.
0: Yeah,
2: it helped me to realize that uh, our body speaks to us. Our body tells us what it wants, and it tells us what it don't, what it doesn't want. And it's up to us to listen. and And I always say too that human nature, like animals, have their instincts. You know, they follow their instincts and they go for it. Maybe not always, but for the most part, it seems that's what they do. And human beings, being the animal that we are. I think our instincts are to go against our instincts, oftentimes, Mm -hmm. because we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know what's good. We know what's bad. But we sometimes and oftentimes choose what we think is not the right thing,
1: consciously. What's the motivation for that?
2: I think that's just human nature for some reason, somehow. If I knew the answer, then I wouldn't do that all the time.
1: <laughs> do you think it's to please other people or to maybe? Get- well,
2: there's that. There's probably that. Yeah, because I know I'm a person who feels like I'm responsible for everybody, everything. I should. Every, I just want everybody to be happy, you know. You know, even though I know better. Yeah. You know, there's there's that aspect. So yeah, it's just it's just all the things of being a human. You know, if I had all the answers, then. I'm sure I'd be a very different person than I am. <laughs> I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'd just sit in my room all the time. <laughs> not even deal with anything.
1: <laughs> From what I understand, the heart attack, it wasn't reflective of your uh, the way you took care of yourself. It was more genetic.
2: Yes, that's exactly what my, my, my cardiologist told me. Because I, w- I felt like I was taking pretty good care of myself. I was running all over the place. I lived in this town that had hills and bridges. And I was running up and down those hills, over those bridges every day. Yeah, and feeling good. Yeah. And then one weekend, I'm laying on the floor, dead. You know. And he said, "Blame it on your parents." You know. So that's what I do. I blame it on my mom. She's had two heart attacks herself. She's ninety-two. She's still going.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and luckily, your wife was with you, so you were able to
2: exactly get the had carry. I been alone, I would. We would not be talking right now.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Yep, because I and and that's something she'll never ever forget. Wow, and I have absolutely no recollection of it at all. You Apparently, think that- I was in a lot of pain. I just went down. And I whoo, fell over dead. I have no recollection. I don't even know that it happened.
1: Wow, and that's I wonder if that e- I wonder if that affected just a PTSD with that, since you did not experience that. Maybe then. You didn't have to deal with uh, any post-traumatic Maybe. And,
2: and here's another thing. It, 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 it made me feel that I learned. And I can't say that anything is true or factual or whatever. These are just things I feel. Sure. But when that happened to me, it made me feel like I had a kinship with death. Okay. Almost to the point where I felt death might be kind. You know, when we die, it might just ease us into itself, even if we're like in extreme pain or torture or whatever, because apparently I was in a lot of pain. Mm. And then I fell over dead, but I have no recollection. And And had I been alone, I would have entered into death. And I, and I would have entered into death not even knowing. That's what it seems to me.
0: Yeah. That's
1: yeah. amazing. And And after after that, and and did you see a doctor? Did they say, okay, this is what needs to happen now because we know this is... Part of your DNA.
2: Oh no, I haven't seen a doctor since. No, I not I never see a doctor. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so of course I'm on a regimen and all that kind of stuff. I mean, okay. there's certain medications I have to take. I've even talked to my cardiologist. Like, hey, can I not just do this with you know diet and exercise? And he said, No, your body does not know how to break down cholesterol, and I am not comfortable with you not taking certain medications.
1: Sure, yeah. sure.
2: So I do it, and I also. Try to watch my diet, and I and I exercise and do all those things.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Even the video I saw of you guys playing in Nashville like less than a month ago. I mean, man, you're still going for it, and I'm just like, good lord, two heart attacks, everything. It, it's inspiring, man. I'm I'm 51, and I, there's times I I feel like, and I, I and I'm I'm am working with a trainer. I'm you know I've always been trying to take care of myself in some fashion or another so I can perform so I feel like it's such it's so inspiring to see you guys play mm-hmm. and seeing what you're doing
2: well I'm glad Yeah, I'll tell you though before we went out on this tour I surely wasn't feeling that way I think oh my god can I do this
0: mm. you know
2: because it's been so long since we played it's been you know the whole pandemic the whole thing it's like what two and a half years before we ever did a show again even played together yeah and I was so nervous. I was thinking, oh, my God, I think we all were. Yeah. Can I even do this? Am I going to have the stamina? Can I do it? And as soon as we got on stage, I was like, oh, my God, I can do this. <laughs> this is who I am. This is what I do. That's <laughs> what I've right. been thinking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did,
1: did you spend any time just kind of getting things back up to speed?
2: Well, I, I learned songs.
0: Yeah. Okay. You
2: know? you know, that that's all I did. I don't. I, but I never rehearsed. I never practice on my own or. Unless I have to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. I never just go down there and play the drums just to say, Oh, man, I gotta do this. I don't do any warm ups, I don't do any paradiddles, I don't do anything. I just play the way I play. hmm you No. Know?
1: And I get the impression that the band is kind of the same way. Like
2: I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah. We're just gonna go and do it. I, I I'm curious to know in watching you guys watching live video, knowing that you aren't on a click. Now there's only three of you as opposed to try and wrangle cats with a stage full of musicians that all feel time differently. The You guys feel things very much. I mean, just, it seems like just the time feel is so strong amongst everyone. And there's that thing. It's more than just the drummer's responsibility mm-hmm. for time and groove and pocket. And it's so beautiful when everybody is working together. Uh, and it, was that ever uh did that ever need addressed Uh, was that was that always kind of a a thing that worked well for you guys
2: well i think when we first got together when we first started playing it it just felt great Mm -hmm. we're thinking we all thought this is the band these are the guys i want to play with this is great but then as time goes on yeah there's there are times when certain things don't feel as tight and as good as they could or should and somebody else will say hey man this is like you know, speeding up here, or slowing down here. This is, you know, we got to kind of, you know, hone this in or whatever. So yeah, those things happen. But I think what has happened throughout the years with us is that we feel somehow what each other feels at the time. And so even if it's not maybe technically right in the pocket or, you know, where it would be if you had a click on it, it feels that way because we're all playing it together. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. I think that's even more important than if you were playing everything exactly to a click in time. Yeah. You know, because that's where the feeling comes from. That's where the, you know, the uh, nuances, I think that's a good word, or or your, the expression of yourself, that's where it comes from. And I think a lot of our favorite bands are that way. Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, you know, they're all that way.
1: Are you speaking of like day to day? Like, man, Doug... He didn't sleep well last night and was going through a, a rough week. And this is how we're feeling it today.
2: Mm, I don't know if I'm thinking so much that. Mm-hmm. I think as time went on, we learned we were learning about each other. Okay. You know, in the early days. And as it's and as progressed into where we are now we've been together over forty years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We've learned about each other. To the point where, even if we are having a bad day, we still know how to lock in together. And if somebody's like in a bad place, yeah. most likely we'll lock into that bad place, <laughs> rather than trying to bring it back around to where maybe we think it should be. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's what keeps us in that place.
1: It sounds like there's some some give and take, some I'm here for you. Oh, absolutely.
2: Absolutely give and take. Yeah. And, you know, when you're on a stage, stages are always different too. Right. You know, oftentimes you'll hear a slap back or you'll hear something and you you feel like, hey, this is where I'm playing. And next thing you know, somebody else is coming in at what sounds like a completely different time. Yeah. And we're going, oh, my God, I got to stay. I know this is right. So you just kind of try to stay there. And we're all hearing different things. And hopefully, you know.
1: Uh, You you guys are using ears, right?
2: No, we used to, but we don't anymore. Just using you know wedges, monitors.
1: Oh, really? Now you're using monitors?
2: Yeah, we did for a short period of time using ears. Yeah. It just it sounded great. I thought the 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 vocals were better and hear everything, but it just felt like we weren't connecting with the crowd anymore. It didn't feel like rock and roll as much. Yep. And so now we just went back to monitors and you know just deal with it. Sounded horrible, but you know, we we can, you know, feel the connection.
1: The trade-off to connect yeah. with the audience was more important. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Gotcha. I I I did some touring with a band recently, and and there would always be crowd mics set up. And yeah, I, we
2: tried that too, but it's just not the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess playing a supportive role in in most of the gigs that I do, I, I'm I'm trying to connect with whoever I'm supporting on stage, you know, as far as who's writing the check and (laughs) how, you know, I I care less about the audience than I do. Oh, you get, you get paid (laughs) (laughs) once, once I did, Uh, (laughs) once you know, I guess, uh, I, my, my responsibility is, is less to the audience. Maybe it shouldn't be, uh, maybe I would, it would be my, my, Interaction would be more interesting, and then it would be reflective on stage. But I, you know, it's like my first allegiance is is to the musicians on stage. But with, I I see that responsibility or that that the joy that comes from connecting with the audience as an artist, as you know, one of three equal members of 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 a band that is like you guys are on there, each doing your thing to, you know, express yourselves in a way that is different from, you know, a, a, a sideman or a musician doing something. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of getting messy with my words, but you, you know what I'm saying?
2: I think I do. Okay. And I think, uh, and I think the connection with the audience, at least for us, it comes from the fact that we're playing with each other. Yeah. You know? And then the audience feels that, and then that comes back to us. And then, and we're just given back and forth like that.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, have you learned about a band or a drummer or another musician or an artist that has been inspired by you that you've been surprised to hear about?
2: Mm. Uh, I hear from a lot of people that they were inspired by us that it, it, it truly does baffle and amaze me and I'm honored by it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, you know Kurt Pascara? Of course. He called me on the phone once and he told me he listened to the dogman record. And he said, he said, after listening, I had to call you and he said, I just want to drink your bath water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, Kurt Pascara, what are you talking about? You know, you're like one of the greats, and I'm just this guy. <laughs> you know, and like I got a text from Carmine A Peace one day, he said, Hey, I was listening to that song, don't care. He said, that is really great drumming. He said, that's my kind of drumming. And Carmine is one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, how does that happen? Um, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the guy who's the guitar player from The Police? What's his name? Andy Summers. Andy Summers.
0: Summers. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. He got in touch once and said, you know, I correspond with him a little bit. He's just a huge fan. You know, and it's just amazing. We we meet people all the time. It's, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. I don't even
2: know how to think about it.
1: Yeah. I know you've been connected with Greg Bissonette as well. And he's been. Oh, yeah. Greg's
2: like one of the greatest drummers of of all time, can do anything, you know, and he's called me his hero. Mm -hmm. I'm going, Greg, come
0: on, man. (laughs) Come on, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. And the only thing I can think is it's because I just play the way I play. And that's something that can't necessarily be copied or duplicated or something. That's the only thing I can think. I don't know if that's the truth, but that's all I can think is that there's it's because I only play the way I play that it that it that inspires
1: people. I don't know. For sure. For sure. When you thought about being in a band when you were a kid, and then you actually were in a band, what was the difference? Like we all have this vision of what we think the music industry is gonna be like, what being in a band is like how great it's okay. going to be then there's the reality
2: hmm. well for me i've been playing in a band since i was probably seven years old
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know i formed a band with my dad and my brother who were called jerry and the knights and we played you know lodges and different parties and things like that played on a float once but so for me playing in a band has always been something i've done yeah and uh it's it's you know it didn't seem foreign to me uh and it's not really a lot different than what i thought it would be i don't think because it's just what i did i i I didn't I i never really thought about it like that okay but there was a band i used to go see when i was like 12 12 13 maybe this local band they were like heroes to me they were called frog ocean road they were they were like the Beatles. It was like, oh my God, these guys oh. I remember talking to the drummer one time, and I was like, Oh my god, I'm talking to Eddie Superman, that was the drummer's name. Yeah. And and a couple of years later, they asked me to join their band. Nice. And I became the drummer of that band. And that that felt pretty incredible that I am now in the band of my heroes. You know, but still that, that kind of felt natural too, though.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, and and we talked earlier about This fan base of that King's X has and has had for years from musicians, and this constant thing that that I see, I've heard for years. You see online, you you know, but even before the internet was a thing, uh, you hear just not recognized enough. This band is not recognized. This band is is underrated, and I just kind of I'm just kind of curious how how do you guys navigate that how do you does it do you let it affect the way you create music or plan a tour or keep the band going or not going or you know how does that affect your mindset
2: hmm well i don't know that necessarily affects what we do um it might affect our mindset in that, you know, all the, all the people that we know and love and they love us have all gone on to make lots of money <laughs> and very popular and all that. And that's the one thing we never did was make a lot of money.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But at the same time, we have a career. You know, we've been able to have this career where you're saying things to me like you just said, you know. Which is which is something to be very thankful for, and I am thankful for that. And I've often thought, had we had like a this big hit from the start, made millions of dollars, we wouldn't even be together right now. Mm. You know, we would have just all just disbanded and went off our own ways and said, I don't care anymore about this. I I'm fine. So we've been able to continue playing and making music, and we're going to continue to make music the way we've always made music.
1: Yeah, we are the benefactors of this.
2: Yeah, man.
0: I guess. Yeah.
2: We just do what we do, and yeah. I'm thankful that anybody takes the time to listen to it. Yeah. It'd be great if the if the whole world did. I'd, I'm d- I'm definitely willing to find out what it'd be like if the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd hate it.
1: Yeah. Money doesn't buy happiness. Try me. Let's let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Let,
2: let's find out. I'm willing to find out. <laughs> if it doesn't, then I know where happiness can be. Then, and I can just do it with a little
1: bit of money. Thank How you. About that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: somebody said you know if if you had all the money in the world what would you do if money wasn't you know it was well I'd play music I'd play drums and I feel like this is kind of one of the things that you're saying you 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 your guys are having this experience you're having these opportunities through the band to live a life that you've always wanted you know
2: yeah yes and I'm thankful I'm thankful that we have been able to accomplish at least what we have accomplished. Yeah. You know, I guess, I guess we probably naturally always want more, but, but I, I'm good, man. I, I'm content enough where I'm at. Sure. I know that we have built enough that we can keep doing this. And, you know, every day is a new day and anything's possible. Who knows?
0: Mm hmm.
1: Right. 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 There you go. Yeah. yeah got no. a new record out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wanted to bring up something and, and you know, anything and p- I edit and post anything, um, you know, I'll probably edit most of my yammering. Uh, but I wanted to bring up something th- from Joe. I thought this this was interesting. Um, and if you could speak to it and if, if not, we could move on for sure. Uh, So Joe wrote, uh, they were lumped into the Christian rock genre early on, yet never wanted to be a part of that world to begin with. Their former manager producer, Sam Taylor, pushed them beyond their limits to the point of contention that they eventually broke ties with him after their self-titled album in 1992, and things have been tense within both camps ever since. So my question is, uh, how did this experience uh, affect the trajectory of the band or change things or not change things for y'all?
2: As far as the whole Christian world goes and all, I mean, we all came from the Christian world. I, I, I wouldn't, I won't deny that. You know, we had our place in the Christian world. It was sort of the Christian world that brought us all together.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and we went to like the heights of the Christian world. You know, Doug and I were playing the band with Phil Keaggy.
0: I've right.
2: ever heard of Phil Kagi but he's a great, great, great guitar, great person. Sure. You know, I love Phil. He was a he was a hero of mine. And when I first met him, it was like one of the Beatles. And it ended up being his in his band, Doug and I. That's where we met. Right. And uh, and I think it was at that point that I realized the Christian world is not really where I feel like I need to be. This isn't the truest thing in my heart.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know. And as time went on, I think we moved further and further away. And I think that happened with all three of us. And once we formed our band, we never wanted to be in the Christian world. Because that didn't feel real to me. It Didn't feel right. Didn't feel honest. It didn't feel true. You know, even though I'm, you know, I learned a lot from that world. I'm thankful that I did experience what I experienced. But um, does that have anything to do with what you asked me?
1: <laughs> uh, somewhat, but it, it does lead me to a faith journey that uh that I think that some of us go on, and and maybe we'll. Kind of take it a little bit di- different direction. But, you know, the, the, the Christian music industry is huge here in Nashville. One of the first bands that I ever played in was a Christian band in high school. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity to work with good musicians and to play music. I just happened to be a Christian, and this was the first, one of the first opportunities I had to work with 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 a great band that had had gigs and I didn't care where it was or you know I was probably 16 or 17 at the time but I I I, I relate to what you're saying because I I didn't feel a connection uh, the responsibilities that went along with that in my faith journey just didn't match and um the idea of working with a band that was not a Christian band or whatever, I didn't feel like it was a threat to my faith journey, to what I believed, to how I wanted to live my life. Um, but other people would push back on that, you know? Man, if you're going to play bars, if you're going to do this, if you're going to say this word, if you're going to say that, you know, it's, it's, it's not reflective of Christian ideals. And I'm like, I don't think that is what we need to be worrying about. And um, I'm curious to know, maybe based on what Joe's statement or inquiry is, we could talk a little bit about maybe some of the pushback you got from the Christian community that maybe was reliance upon King's X being their band. Like, no, no, I listened to this Christian band and this Christian band and King's X, and because those guys are a Christian band, and then did you guys feel there were uh, any any pushback from, from your fan base, from agents that were trying to book you and do different things like that?
2: Well, I think along, the, you know, throughout the years, the whole Christian idea, in some ways, I think it hurt us. You know, because, you know, once you get the Christian label on top of you, then it's going to, it's going to alienate people. It's going to make people, you know, feel that they're the outsider or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why I never wanted to be any part of the Christian world. You know, because it's just not true. It's just not real to me. It's not what life really is about. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a section of people's lives. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Of course. And, um, I mean, I'm thankful that I I, I got to, to know and learn about the Christian world, learn about, about, about a lot of great music, you know, that I would have never known had I not been in the Christian world. Like Larry Norman, for instance, one of my favorite artists of all time, Larry Norman, incredible. It's one of my favorite music. Mm. You know, Phil Kage, people are like that. But, um, yeah, as time went on, I just, it's just, you know, I, it's just, didn't feel real to me anymore. And, and, and being in that world, you can see why it doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, to me, Christian, I mean, the values of Christian, the true values are great, I guess. But the reality is, uh, Christians, in my experience, would be the first person to lie about things in order to get their point across.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And to me, to lie in the name of supposed truth you know, what 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 greater abomination is there than that? And that's what seems to be the overriding, you know, theme of the Christian world to me, whether people realize it or not, or want to admit it or not. You know, because that's just humans. We do that as humans Right. And the Christian world, you know, as this sort of truth factor to it, you know, and still continue to lie. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. We just have to be ourselves. Right. You know, I mean, if we want to if we want to be Christian, if we want to talk about that, I mean, it's recorded. Jesus himself said that the, the kingdom of heaven is within, right? Yeah. There, there's the answer right there. Are you like anybody else? Yes, we're all like everybody else. But at the same time, we're all completely individual. Yeah. And yet the truth is within you. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. And if you tell somebody else what the truth is, then you're lying. Because the truth is in you. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But I don't feel like I'm on any kind of a pulpit or preaching or anything like that. It's the last thing I would ever think. I'm just talking how I feel because you ask a question. Right, you right. Know? No, it, I mean... It, I, don't, I don't care to... Yeah.
1: It, it definitely feels, though, that your point is... is to stand here and say I know what's right and to tell everybody how to live their life is just kind of not at its, its core, <laughs> right? Not at its core what what I believe Jesus was telling us, um, and this distortion of faith um, through. Misinterpretation through culture wars, through all these things that it, yeah. it has been fascinating yeah. to contend with in my lifetime, but especially in the Western world and in the United States from mid 1950s, uh, just kind of picking up just a, a turning point in the way Christiani- Christianity and faith affects culture and the way uh, it affects everything in, 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 uh, this country from, you know, a political standpoint to a policy standpoint, you know, is within your lifetime and my lifetime and the way that we've lived our lives, navigated our lives, created art, created music. Um, it's been an interesting time and I kind of wonder if we're going to look back on this and be like, dude, what we were thinking? God, we felt like we knew it all. And, um, but mm. um, yeah, no. Well, I'm,
2: that's always going to be the case. It always has been the case. I yeah. think you know, uh, religion and politics—the two things that are supposedly most for the people to bring people together—are the two things that break each other apart more than anything in life. Right. That's the yeah. irony of being a human. Again, our instincts are to go against our instincts. That's just the way it feels to me. You know, yeah. politics, religion the worst things in the world to me. Yeah. But that's just the way it is. And that's what we learn from. That's what we have to learn from. That's what we're taught. And we have to dissect it. We have to figure it out on our own, you know? And if you believe something, then that's what you should go for. Mm
0: -hmm. Whatever that is. Mm -hmm.
2: I think if you believe, hey, go for it. If you believe something else, go for it. If you believe nothing, go for it. You know, you got to find it within yourself. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just the worst thing that there is
0: that, yeah.
2: to be a human being.
1: <laughs> but I just love the fact that you say you have to find it within yourself. And the last thing I'll say about this is I was talking to my son who's 17 and I was like, listen, you know, don't let the actions of other people affect the way you see the world, whether it's your politics, your faith journey or whatever you have to decide. Uh, but to, to, but to, to hang your coat on something that, a group of people say, or someone says just doesn't hold water. You have to decide you're smart enough. You're wise enough to make those decisions on your own, you know, and that's, that's what's going to separate you from people that will follow just anything, you know?
2: Cause when it gets right down to it, who are we to say that we know anything? How can we know anything like this? Exactly. How can we know anything?
1: <laughs> We're all just making it up yeah. as we go. <laughs> Huh? We're, we're all just making it up as it, as we go
2: of course we are what else can we do what else is there we don't know these things we know certain things i guess <laughs> but when it comes to you know death for instance yeah you know and religion that's they have the answer on death right we don't know anything about death
0: Mm-mm. nobody
2: does not one single human being knows anything about death at all, other than death is when our bodies stop working right. and they don't come back. Right, right. That's death. And you've and got experience. Done that? Not really. I mean, to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, for a second, you know, had I been like I said, had I been alone, I would have entered into death. But, but you know, in all reality, no one has ever come back from death and shared with what, what death is like. Yeah. Because yeah. death. You don't come back from that, hmm. right? Nobody yeah. comes back from death. Mm-hmm. At least, not that I know of. So, yeah. how can we know anything about that?
0: Right, right.
2: We can believe. We can have hope. We can have faith, or whatever you want to call it. But my 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 hope is in the unknown. That's where my hope is. Okay. So there you go. Nice. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Preach.
1: Preach, Preach. Preach on. Yeah. You reminded me of one of my favorite bumper stickers. The bumper sticker says, how am I driving? Question mark. No, seriously. How does this car work? How does any of this work?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> like something you'd see on a, on a commercial vehicle, but the, you know, like how's my driving call this number if I'm, you know, but right. I just love that. How am I driving? How is this? How in God's name? God, every time I fly, I'm like, how is this working? Good Lord. Yeah. Um, But those are the kind of things we can know. Oh, oh, yeah. What, science? Somebody knows that stuff. Jerry, are you talking about science here? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Or some of
2: that stuff. I mean, somebody knows how that plane flies. Thank God. Otherwise, they wouldn't be flying. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. Those kind of things we can know. Yes. And and, uh, thank God for people like that. Um, I want to ask about your drumming. Uh, Your your influences, some of your quote-unquote first favorites, uh, Ringo, Buddy Rich, you mentioned Carmine uh, Don Brewer, Bonham, of course. Uh, any drummers in recent years that you've found inspiring?
2: Oh, there's so many. I mean, I hear drummers. I was watching um, The Voice last night, which is, you know, it's what it is. It's mm-hmm. just something to put on. But I, But the drummer on that show, I really love. I think he's really great. I think his name's Nate Moore and he, and he and I looked him up and he's played with a you know a good friend of mine raphael mm. who was in a band called magnetico it used to be with American Idol and he played with and all that so I looked at and there's him I thought he was great yeah there's so many great drums. I saw a uh, saw a band called uh, Cedar not yeah. too long ago right John Humphrey <laughs> okay you know he's a buddy of mine now and uh and I remember watching him play and i'm thinking my god this guy is great and i remember feeling the way people say they feel when they watch me play and i've never felt that before i thought wow how about that love so there's that. that yeah and there's just so many great drummers out there i mean I, I i mean to say to say one or two leaves out all the others that are just so great yeah you know yeah so it's hard even to talk about that kind of stuff it's easy to talk about my influences you know, from back when, Mm
0: -hmm. but
2: to talk about people today, there's just so many, you know, and I feel bad that I don't mention somebody because there's so many great
1: ones. Right. Right. When we first started this podcast, I thought, well, I've got a, I've got a few friends here in Nashville that are really great and, and could speak, you know, with some expertise about working in this industry and uh, we'll kind of see how, how many people I can tap into. And it just is this never ending resource. And as we move along, there's even drummers that have come up in the time that we've started this podcast that have become professional drummers <laughs> that weren't when oh, we started, yeah. <laughs> and are great and doing good and, and yeah. can speak to some things now. It's it's just and and I think it can be overwhelming at times, but it, it should be inspiring. Using Bonham, do you remember hearing him for the first time, and do you remember the record mm. or the song or? Do you remember that?
2: I don't know if I remember the very first time I heard him,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but I do remember the very first time I saw him. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and uh, actually it was the second time I saw him that really, really, really affected me. I, I was already a huge, I love John Obama. I was a huge, huge fan up to the, at that point, I was 14 the second time I saw him and we had ninth row seats on the floor at the Spectrum wow it was 1972 right when the fourth record came out Mm -hmm. incredible to this day one of the greatest things I've ever seen and I remember John Bonham came out he had that green sparkle kit and they came on the stage and he just sat behind his drums and he did this lick just to check his drums and it's the most incredible thing I've ever heard in my life (laughs) it's like that is that is what drumming is right there that's how you play the drums yeah yeah So I think the first record I heard was the second one, actually.
1: Okay. First. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about being in the house band for a uh, Bon Jovi party that you did. Can you talk (laughs) some about that? That's that's an amazing story.
2: It is. It is quite the story to tell. I remember being asked to do, uh, to be in this house band for a John Bon Jovi party at his house in the Hamptons. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'll do that. Why not? And we get there, we're setting up, and then we, we start hearing these rumors uh, that all these people are going to be there. We're going, oh, that'd be cool. Maybe they'll come up and play with us, or who knows, whatever. And, uh, and it got to a point, I'll just make it real, real quick, but it got to the point where for like 45 minutes, we're on stage jamming together with John Bon Jovi, Jimmy Buffett, Billy Joel, Uh, Roger Waters came up, and then to top it off, Paul McCartney. Oh my God! So here we are on stage with all these guys, just playing music, and it was pretty incredible. Just uh, to think this was reality at the at that moment. (laughs) 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 And I know, and then Bruce Springsteen was there as well, but he didn't come up on stage. But I had played with Bruce earlier, like a few months earlier than that. You know, he I was his drummer for an entire show. Uh, Stone Pony in Asbury Park.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, it was a, some kind of benefit for his, his kid's school or something.
0: Yeah. And
2: I was asked to play drums. And that's a cool story too. I'll tell it real quick. Yes, please. I remember I got this phone call from a guy named Bob Bandiera, who was John Bon Jovi's other guitar player at the time. He said, hey, "You want to do this uh, gig with uh, Bruce? You know, I got this thing coming up. You want to do it?" I said, "Yeah, I want to do it. Of course." I remember as soon as I hung up the phone, I like, "Oh my God, what have I done? I have to learn. I have to play Bruce now. I've got to learn these songs and do this." Oh my God, <laughs> I got so nervous. And I learned all these songs. And we got there, and we're gonna, and Bruce finally comes in. We're going to do a sound check, sort of rehearsal thing. And um, and everybody in the band had some of the people I played with him before. Said, hey, don't you know, don't worry if Bruce doesn't say anything to you. He just comes in. He just does his thing, and it just goes off. and what, I said, oh, whatever, you know, so we come in and he, and he counts off the first song, I think it was maybe Pink Cadillac, or, I think it was Pink Cadillac, and he counts off we start playing, going, oh, and I wasn't even a Bruce stand at, the, at that time
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we're, we're playing, I'm like, hey this is rude. oh, that guy can play the guitar, oh wow, he, he's actually good alright, yeah." and uh, and we finish the song and Bruce turns around and looks at me and he goes that was great <laughs> and we just start hanging out the rest of the night and and the reason I bring that up is because he was at the Bon Jovi party. And uh, we were all sequestered by the pool, the band, before we play. And all of a sudden, we see this guy kind of stumbling through the gates. And we looked at him, and like, oh, that's Bruce. And he comes over to us. And he kind of stumbles over and says, hey, where's the bar? You know. And, and say, oh, I think it's over there. And he, said, and he, looks, at, and he looks at me specifically. And he said, hey, I really enjoyed playing with you that night. It's like, oh, yeah, so there's that.
1: like, hey, Bruce, just talk to me, boys. Hey, that was me. That was me right there.
2: Yeah, and I talked to Paul that night, too, after the show. I went up to, I saw Paul sitting out there. I was like, I'm just going to go talk to him. He just sitting by himself out there. So I went and tapped him on the shoulder. He turns around, puts his hand on and goes, hey, man, sit down. We sat and talked for like 15 minutes or something. And at one point he said, you're a good drummer, man. Keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) And I told the other guys in the band, and the bass player said, Man, if he said that to me, I would go have cards made saying, "Paul McCartney said you're a good drummer. Keep it up." <laughs>
1: <laughs> these are the experience I'm talking about, man. It's like, yeah. how can you, yeah. you just can't create these things uh, uh, without having, you know, established this 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 life and and what you guys have worked yeah. so hard at. It's amazing. Yeah,
2: I'm very I'm very thankful.
1: Nice, nice. Uh, uh, the last thing I'll tell you is um, big shout out to my friend Mike Jackson. Has been a long time a close friend of mine for years. Introduced me to you guys, um, helped me start this podcast actually years yeah. ago. But um, real, just the last thing is is that when you guys were in Columbus at Polaris in mid nineties, he snuck backstage, walked on your bus, and it's like, hey guys, what's up? And you all had like your bags of laundry, and you're like, well, we're just getting ready to do some laundry, and ended up hanging out with Doug. And then they became correspondents for a number of years, Um, but he brought that up. I almost had him join us on this call, but um, so just thanks to Mike for that. But he's like, dude, I don't know what I was thinking, and if security would have just like destroyed me, I was like, well, it happened. And he's like, but the guys were cool; they were really nice and. No one was like ready oh. to tase me, and <laughs>
2: oh, that's nice. I'll tell you I said hi.
1: I will, man. But Jerry, right man, thank you so much for taking some time out for us. Sure, um, man. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and I've so enjoyed just digging in to your story and uh, listening to a shit ton of Kings X the last uh, last month. And um, well, thank you, man. More so, my and, pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'll be in touch. We'll let you know when this post. But for right now, on. keep in touch if there's anything we can do for you, and um, hopefully see you around again.
2: Right on, man. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. See you, man.
1: So there you have it, my conversation with Jerry Gaskell. I, I really appreciated his time and allowing me to kind of peek under the hood with his faith journey, as, as I referred to it, and some of those other things that hopefully uh, you find curious in the way someone navigates through the world and how it affects their career and their family and their life. So I appreciate him opening up to me about that. Uh, Once again, thanks to Joe Burkall for making this connection. Next week is Christmas and New Year's. We're taking that time off. And then we're looking at the beginning of 2023. And the first episode of that year, next year, is episode 400. We'll be back with you both Zach and I will be co-hosting that episode and it is a combination of emails, voice messages, recorded messages from our listeners, our support group, our community. And I'm very excited to share this. Uh, I, I hate to call it a love fest, but it's that's kind of what it's feeling. We're talking about kind of how this podcast has inspired you, influenced you, and everybody that participated in this, uh, I just can't thank enough. And I really think you'll enjoy this and maybe gain some insight to this long journey that we've been on over the last eight years and continue on. So stay tuned for that at the beginning of the new year. Everyone stay safe. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you around. Bye-bye.